Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. These are strange times that we are living in right now, and uh, we, have a, uh, we have a world that is in panic. We have a pandemic that is uh, circling the globe, uh, exactly what will happen uh in the future we don't know all of the details but we have one anchor one constant one sure and certain rock and that is the word of god i'm not sure if uh, your congregation is uh, able to worship at this particular time or not uh, but we pray that our Proclaiming the One program would be a blessing for you. If you're able to prepare for the divine service that you'll be attending personally, or whether you'll be making use of some of the other uh, avenues for worship, um, family devotions, internet services, whatever, uh, we pray that the peace and love of God's Word would be yours during this very, very special season of Lent. Pastor, uh, any any introductory words before we dig into our text? Well, I'd say in that regard that um, our radio station will be broadcasting divine services um, at um, the normal times on Sunday mornings and then also on Wednesday evenings as well. Uh, and so do tune in here to KNNA, The Cross, 957, and uh, we will make sure that uh, even if you can't get to church, God's Word will go out uh, over our radio waves here. Amen, 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 and uh, pass the word too. There may be people that are looking for opportunities to hear the word of God, and that is why we exist here at KNNA ninety five point seven. Vicar, the uh, old or the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday in Lent, Judica Sunday, uh, judge me or vindicate me. The fifth Sunday in Lent is John eight. And uh, the reading is 46 through 59. The additional reading, 42 through 45, and we have that uh, for us. We have the longer reading. So would you, uh, would you share those words, please? Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, 
Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Wow, what an amazing reading here, and I'm always, I'm always stunned at uh, this point in our church year, we take we take a dramatic shift this uh, fifth Sunday in Lent, and we see we see the divisions getting sharper and sharper. You are you are either for the truth or you are for lies. You are either with Christ or you are against Him. If you want to honor the Father, the only way to honor the Father is to honor Christ. And we, we have Jesus here talking so much about his glory. And this is a major, major theme in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's, a, it's a theme throughout all of Scripture, going back to the Old Testament, and the, uh, the, the glory of God, the kavod of God, the presence of God. And here we see things coming to a head with, uh, with regard to this conversation in uh, John chapter 8. And I think many of us are familiar with John 8 for a completely different reason. Uh, earlier in John chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 31 and following, uh, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty-one and 32. We hear those words generally uh, at Reformation time when we're talking about making a confession of the truth. But this conversation goes on. And it gets deeper and deeper and more and more heated. And we can see then why the, the Jews were so adamant that Jesus needed to be put to death. Uh, comments on the context of this conversation, Pastor, before we dig deep into the specifics. Well, I thought you were going to go to um, the first part of John chapter 8 where we have the, uh, the verses that are, um, you know, uh, 
we aren't sure if they're from the original or not, but uh, I've been thinking about those lately in terms of uh, God writing the Ten Commandments with his finger on the stone tablets and the woman caught in adultery, um, and they're going to stone her, and Jesus is writing with his finger on the ground, uh, kind of a, uh, a doubling of uh, God imposing his law, but then he stands up and says, no one else has condemned you, then neither do I. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is kind of an interesting thing, and you can almost see as we read this gospel lesson the conflict that's kind of building. It's not like this is just a peaceful conversation. Uh, I mean, the vicar read it, right? Jesus called them liars to their faces, and you can imagine if someone did that to you, your response, that's the same sort of thing that's taking place here in the Temple Mount with Jesus and the Jewish leaders. I would launch a Twitter campaign and call for a nationwide boycott. That's what I would do. <laughs> that is, isn't that really the reaction that many people have now? You know, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to, you know, and uh, and it's um, even worse. What actually happens right here? They uh, they're going to put him to death. <laughs> yeah, they're they're plotting and scheming, uh, not not to destroy his name, but to destroy him completely. Um, these uh, these preliminary verses that we have added for us in our text here, John eight forty two to forty five. Um, Jesus continues to talk about his incarnation. He says, um, I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Who sent who and what's going on here, Pastor, in these uh, verses in John 8, 42, and 43? Uh, in John 8, 42, and 43, um, we have before that, this isn't included in our text, but I think it's important to understand um, the Jews, their response to their conversation with Jesus is, oh yeah, well, Abraham's our father, as if saying the thing that matters is um, descent from Abraham via blood. That's why we're God's chosen person. That's why we're going to be saved, because we're descended from Abraham. Uh, Jesus is going to turn this around upon them and say, you're not doing the things that Abraham did. You don't really belong to Abraham. You actually belong to someone else, and that's the point Jesus is making. He's preaching the law here. Jesus then is also pointing out that he has come here. Uh, he is... He's not here of his own accord. He's sent by God, the incarnation. This is the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning, the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And that's the idea that Jesus is teaching them and talking to them about uh, to explain the incarnation. And the Jews, as he's saying this, are picking it up. They, they aren't missing what he's saying. We can't just say nobody, uh, Jesus never claimed to be God, and nobody thought that he was God until later, because he's being very direct here in this particular section. And uh, he goes on, um, he says, uh, you, you cannot bear to hear my word. Uh, you are of your father, the devil, not and Abraham, but yes, the devil. Yes, that's the contrast here. Your father is the devil, not Abraham that you think. And then he goes on to explain, um, your will is to do your father's desires. In other words, the devil's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Um, Jesus, I don't know of any place in all of scriptures where Jesus speaks more bluntly and more harshly 
comments on that, Pastor? No, I, I don't think I can think of a place where he is more blunt either. Maybe there's a few places where he's pretty close. But uh, behind it all is the truth, right? And, and I love this. Jesus um, is speaking bluntly. He's not doing it out of malice or hate or anything like that. Uh, Jesus, as he spa- speaks these words of truth, you belong to Satan, the liar, the murderer, and uh, you do the works that he wants you to do. This is a word of law with the goal in mind that these people repent of that sin and come to believe the truth, to follow God the way God would have uh, anyone follow him. And um, these people, hardened as they are against God's word, only hardened their hearts even more, much as Pharaoh did in the Exodus, and, and that's the sad part. And I think that we can take from that that we ought to not do the same thing. We ought to repent. We ought to be willing to repent. And that's what the season of Lent is about that we are in at this moment. Jesus speaks harshly here, and it's hard for us to remember, but we need to, that he is speaking the truth in love. He desires not the death but the life of all people, even for the ones who were plotting and scheming his murder. Jesus speaks the truth to them with the goal of repentance. Always in mind, the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One, Fifth Sunday in Lent. We'll be right back. P95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday in Lent, Judica, and uh, we're going to get into uh, that name here in just a little bit. Uh, John eight forty two to 59 is our gospel reading. We spent most of our... Um, first segment looking at the context of John 8 and also those uh, first four verses there. In uh, verse 46, verse 46, uh, but because I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. Pastor, the truth is a very, very significant theme in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John. What am I talking about? Well, it is something that's carried throughout the entire Gospel. We have Jesus here who um, uh, says, because I tell you the truth. We also have Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we have Pontius Pilate even at the trial of Jesus who says, what is truth, which is ironic because 
standing right in front of him is Jesus, who is the truth. And I think uh, that whole theme that's carried throughout the Gospel of John is is kind of even building on the Pentateuch and the idea that we worship the one true God. And who is he? Well, in John's Gospel, we see him as the person of Jesus, and that's the truth. And John wants to make sure you understand that, and so he's woven that theme throughout his entire gospel as he wrote it. We have we have kind of a, a sentiment in our world today that there is no such thing as absolute truth. We have uh, which <laughs> we even we even have Christians or so called Christians who would say you can have your truth and I can have my truth as long as we're sincere. Um how how would you respond to people that would say either there is no such thing as truth or truth is arbitrary? Well, <clears throat> right now the way I'd respond is look around, right? Um, when we're recording this, at least, there's a virus that uh, has closed down basically the entire country. There's people that are getting sick. Perhaps there'll be some that die. You know, we're still at the early point as we're recording this. And... Is that true for everyone across the board? And the answer is yes. And so I think the whole idea that uh, truth is something that is individual and can be changed based upon your viewpoint and whatnot is being thrown a big curveball right here, one uh, that shows the futility of that idea. And the, the truth be told, philosophically speaking, throughout the ages, the the philosophical spectrum swings back and forth between the idea that we can know the truth and that we cannot. And uh, we've been in the you cannot know the truth, and now it's swinging back the other way. As Christians, our view is just a little bit different because we know what the truth is because the one person who knows what it is, God, has revealed it to us in his holy word. And I think that's a big theme here in this particular gospel lesson as well. If you look at the number of times that Jesus says, you know, if you believe in me, you'll be in my word. If you uh, know the truth, you're in my word. All these ideas where he drives the people listening to his conversation back to the word. Look at what the word says. That's the truth. And I'm the fulfillment of that. I think as Christians, that's where we look for truth. Vicar, we have in verse 47, Jesus says, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. What is Jesus teaching us here? Uh, Jesus is teaching us that the word we hear is God. The The word made flesh, Jesus Christ, is God. And uh, he's arguing against people who think that they're of Abraham, of Abraham, their father. We have that uh, that wonderful word, hear. Faith comes by hearing, whoever hears the word of God. And uh, that's where, uh, as a derivative, that's where we get our word for catechesis as well, that that audio word. And as we hear the word of God, God does what he says. He creates and sustains and grows faith in us. The power is in the word. Jesus is the word made flesh. We listen to Jesus. We listen to the words of Jesus. It's all one big connection here uh, with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Pastor, I want to skip down to verse uh, four, or verse 50 right now. And this is the first time in this text where we have the word glory. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, 
and he is the judge. What does the glory of Jesus have to do with this whole judge judgment topic? Uh, I'd say the glory of Jesus is what we see as he is crucified on the cross, and that's where God's judgment is placed uh, upon him for all sin and all time and all places. And there's time out, time out. Do you realize how ludicrous that sounds? Um, when we think of glory, uh, when we think of glory as Americans, when we think of glory as human beings, we are thinking about uh, winning the gold medal, winning the lottery, uh, getting that promotion at work, uh, you know, something really, really joyous and happy and positive and worth celebrating. And you just said, correct me if I'm wrong, the glory of Jesus is the cross. Did you really mean that? Yes. Okay. Uh, our hearers may be spinning right now. So connect all that together for them, please. Well, the glory of God is to uh, save sinners, to rescue them from all the things that have gone wrong, the same way that maybe uh, what's Superman's glory, right? It's... Uh, not to, um, you know, have a nice house and to, uh, you know, meet nice girls and uh, uh, drink a lot of beer or whatever. Superman's glory is to put his life on the line and uh, rescue people or Spider-Man or whatever one you want to talk about. Uh, that's what they do. And in the same way, exponentially more, Jesus does that by going to the cross and taking our place in sin, death, and the grave, uh, so that we might be rescued from it and delivered into eternal life, peace, and the uh, comfort of God forever and ever. Uh, he purchases and wins us with his holy, precious blood so that we can live forever with God. That's his glory, and that's good news for us. And if we understand it that way, when we look to the cross, it really is truly glorious what God's doing for us. There are many places in Scripture where the glory of God is talked about, and the Gospel of John makes it ever so clear, all the way through the Gospel of John, that the glory of Jesus is dying on an old rugged cross for the for the life of the world. And um, that that is the Gospel, my friends. Cling to it with all your fiber. Vicar, um, Jesus says in the next verse, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And uh, all the people who are criticizing Jesus, they think they have him now. They've caught, they've caught Jesus in a lie. He says he's the truth, but they've caught Jesus in a lie uh, with this whole, uh, we'll never see death. What did they think they had trapped Jesus into, and what does Jesus mean by these words? They thought they trapped him into the earthly death as the body passes and returns to the dust, returns to the ground. And then they tried to use uh, the comparison of Abraham, who they argue, who died. But Jesus here is talking about more than that. He's talking about eternal life of the soul that will later be rejoined with that body that once returned to the dust. But um, they thought they had him talking about an earthly death. Okay, because Abraham lived and he's dead. 
The prophets lived and they're dead. And uh, once again, trying to deny the identity of Jesus, trying to pit Jesus out as a fool, uh, as a charlatan, as somebody who can't be trusted, and Jesus will not let go. He continues on, um, uh, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Pastor, it's, it's almost a tongue twister here. What is Jesus teaching us here in, um, in verse 54? If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Well, um, I think even more important then is the word he says at the end, of whom you say he is our God. In other words, he's saying, your God is my Father, and he's the one who's going to glorify me on the cross, and that's what you need to look at, and that's the important thing. It's not your descendant from Abraham. Uh, it's not your uh, ancestry. It's not your genetics. It's not that you were given this promise in the Old Testament of this land or anything like that. It's what's coming that's going to be the thing that saves you, that makes you God's people, that makes you uh, important in God's eyes. And that's the work that I'm going to do on the cross, as we just talked about a minute ago with the glory. That's where Jesus' glory is, is crucified on the cross. The uh, the Jewish leaders here have another gotcha moment for Jesus, or at least they think they do. Uh, Jesus uh, says in verse uh, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old yet, and you have seen Abraham? What is this gotcha that they think they had, and what is Jesus teaching with this um Abraham saw his day. Well, um, the, the gotcha moment is, is um, look, you've never seen Abraham. Why do you think you uh, know what Abraham was seeing and looking forward to? And the truth is, if you know the Bible, you could know this, right? Because God's promise to him was, uh, in your descendants, the entire world will be blessed. So it's not even a good gotcha moment that they have, but they're in the midst of this argument and they're going with the flow and and trying to get Jesus and to show him to be foolish and when they say this you know you haven't seen Abraham with your own eyes Jesus response is no you're wrong actually before Abraham was I am and that word I am there uh, is what God's name is in the Old Testament especially when he talks to Moses he reveals this um, I am that I am that's the definition of God and Jesus is saying look I'm the son of that God. I'm that God. I was there and talked to Moses. I was there and talked to Abraham. I was there in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. I was there blowing back the waters of the Red Sea and the uh, Jordan River. I was there as the manna. This is elsewhere in John's gospel. Uh, and so this is an important thing. You can't read John's gospel without knowing the Pentateuch because Left and right, Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Pentateuch, and I was there in the Pentateuch. You also cannot read John's Gospel without the ego ami statements, and we have one right here, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Pastor, we don't have a lot of time left in this segment. Uh, what is Jesus saying when he refers to himself as I am? Well, like I just said, uh, he's saying that he is the Old Testament God, the one who was in the burning bush talking to Moses, the one who was in all those other places, because as, as we, we just heard, the 
name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, which means I am that which I am. Uh, and that's the name that God gave to Moses, and that's the name that Jesus, when he makes these I am statements, is putting upon himself, and he's being very direct and clear about that as well. Jesus, the great I am, God in the flesh for you. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear a little bit more about Father Abraham, Genesis 22. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming to One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday in Lent. Each week at Proclaiming the One, we take a look at the upcoming readings to help us prepare for our divine worship. We're living in strange times now. I'm not sure if uh, you'll be able to physically go to divine service uh, uh Wherever you are living, if uh, if the churches are closed because of the uh, pandemic and the limits on public gatherings that are there, you can always check us out on uh, Good Shepherd's uh, KNNA 95.7 LP. Whether the uh, doors are open or not for divine service, the radio station will go on, the divine service will go on, 8 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. 4 and 6.30 on Wednesdays during Lent. We have lots and lots of programs archived. You can uh, listen on the uh, website, um, various uh, podcast availability, KNNA theological programming, and uh, we will do our best to get the Word of God out uh, in these very, very strange and difficult times. Yeah, and in that regard, we're working on even doing uh, uh, devotions throughout this uh, uh, epidemic time and uh, to make those available. So if you're interested in receiving those, to email, do contact our church office, and they'll make sure to add you to that list and send those to you as we prepare them and send them out. The Old Testament reading for the fifth Sunday in Lent. Genesis 22, 1 to 14. I know you're not supposed to have favorites. Um, This is my favorite scripture reading out of the entire Old Testament. And uh, I think I'm in pretty good company here. Luther preached on this Old Testament text more than any other Old Testament text as far as we know. And so... uh, This is extremely significant for us, and uh, I pray that God would bless us as we uh, stand on this holy ground of Genesis 22. Vicar? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose 
and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I don't believe there is a better Old Testament picture or type of the sacrifice that our Lord and Savior Jesus would make than, uh, than this marvelous account from Genesis 22, 1 to 14. Um, normally, we would talk about some of the background, what happened the chapter before. I don't want to do that. Um, God tested Abraham. Pastor, you had a sermon not too long ago where you talked about really the difference between testing and tempting. Why is that an important thing for us to keep in mind, especially during these difficult times that our world is going through right now? Uh, yeah, well, the difference is um, God tempts no one, uh, and uh, Satan tempts people all the time. And the temptation then has to do with um, the desire to manipulate or change God's word or to ignore God's word or put ourselves in God's position, and we're tempted to do that all the time. Testing is when challenges arise, and we face those challenges in faith by God's grace, and he cares and provides for us. And so that's kind of maybe a simple way to think about the difference between these two things. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Um, did God have a memory lapse here? Uh, a Abraham has more than one son. Well, why would he say your only son, Isaac? Well, uh, he's talking about it in terms of which son is the son of the promise, which son is the one who... Uh, Jesus is going to be born through because for God's 
way of thinking, that's the important thing. Remember Abraham's other son uh, and even other children come through other ladies besides Sarah. And uh, it becomes from, ultimately, if we look at it, man trying to manipulate God. They know that the Savior is going to be born. They go, I don't have a kid. How is it going to happen? And maybe if I sleep with this person who's not my wife and impregnate her, then we can make this come about on our own terms. And and God doesn't have any of that business that uh, he lets happen. And so um, God makes it come about the right way through Isaac. And now this is the only son of the promise, and God is asking Abraham to sacrifice him. Of course, I mean, not to give it away, that's all pointing us forward to the descendant of Abraham who will be actually truly sacrificed in Jesus. Amen. And we have that. Uh, each one of these details gives us a little bit more of a clue as to what's going to happen. Uh, he cut the wood for the burnt offering. Uh, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes uh, to the altar Uh Pastor, are, are these just coincidences, or is this God already planting the seed, teaching us that this account of the near sacrifice of Isaac and the substitutionary ram is a picture of Jesus? All of it is absolutely a picture of Jesus, even the location. Um, you know, we have this Mount Moriah, and that today is the mountain on which the uh, the temple had been built, and the remains of the temple exist still to this day, which is only a couple hundred yards from the place where Jesus himself was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And so all the things, the um, the fact that Isaac carries the wood just like Jesus carries the cross, that the third day, just like Jesus is in the tomb three days, even the sense that um, we have to remember how old is Abraham here, right? Well, we, we, don't, uh, we don't know for sure. Luther speculates, based on the Hebrew grammar, that Abraham is about 120 years old. That's what I was going to say, and, and, and Isaac that- is about... Isaac is 18 to 22. You know, we the Sunday school stories show him as a, t- a little boy, eight or nine years old. But uh, Luther teaches us that the Hebrew grammar means that Isaiah or Isaac more than likely was of military age, which would put him about 20 years old. And the, the reason that this is important where I was going with this is that um, – could a 20-year-old guy overpower a 120-year-old guy? And the answer is absolutely yes, but that doesn't happen. Isaac is at least a willing participant in this to the sense that he climbs up onto the wood and allows himself to be bound um, because Abraham doing that himself is not likely. A lamb alone bears willingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, have, we have that picture of Isaac foretelling and giving us the picture of of Jesus. Pastor, in uh, verse 5 of Genesis 22, Abraham said, stay here with the donkey. He's telling his servants that. Another parallel, how did Jesus come into Jerusalem and be crucified riding on a donkey? I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Is this Abraham speaking in faith? that they're going to worship and come back? Is this Abraham lying, uh, trying to cover up what he knows he's been commanded to do to sacrifice his son? Um, What's happening here in verse 5? 
It is a confession of faith here when Abraham says this because God's word has told him that through Isaac, the Savior will be born. Through Isaac, this promise will be passed on, and that uh, Isaac will have many. Through Isaac, he'll become a great nation. And so Abraham believes these words, and even if he goes and actually puts Isaac to death, Abraham believes that God will raise him from the dead and fulfill his promise because God always fulfills his promise. And I think that's the thing we have to remember, um, especially in these difficult times, right? Uh, What's God's promise to you, dear listener? that uh, you will live with him forever in his kingdom. And there's nothing in this world that can take that away, plague or famine or difficulties or cancer, anything like that. Uh, You belong to God and always shall, and he will keep his promise to you. Pastor, uh, we kind of skipped over the the, uh, command that God gave to Abraham. And I think in this last minute that we have with this uh, segment, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son. The pagan nations do child sacrifice all the time. Yahweh does not. Why is this such an outlandish thing for God to say, and why is it important for us to, to realize with regard to the irony of what's being taught here? Well, um, it we don't do child sacrifices. It's not a uh, Jewish or Christian thing, uh, or even uh, you know this is really essentially before Judaism exists as an official religion, if you will. Um, Yahweh worshippers don't do that like all the pagans do, and yet. This is not here for the sake of Isaac or even his sacrifice. It's all pointing us forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. I kind of sound like a broken record in this particular radio show saying the same thing over and over, but that's the truth. Can't understand this without understanding who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplishes. It's okay to be a Johnny one note when that one note is the cross and empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to finish our discussion of Genesis 22, 1 to 14. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Make sure during these difficult times that you tune in to KNNA LP 95.7. Check us out on the internet www.thecross957.org. We will uh, do our best to keep you updated on things that are going on with regard to the pandemic, churches that are open, um opportunities to hear the Word of God, study the Word of God, and to be comforted by the Word of God. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday in Lent 
In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, John 8, 42 to 59. In our third segment, we did an introduction to Genesis 22, 1 to 14. And because this is such a significant text, we want to, uh, we want to spend our last segment on this text as well. Uh, we got as far as verse 7 in uh, that third segment, Pastor. And in verse 8, uh, we read, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, we've been talking about the, the imagery, the typology, um, the, the beautiful way that Isaac here is a type of Christ. Am I going too far by the wood being laid on Isaac and connecting that to Jesus carrying his own cross? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I do the same thing when I talk about this particular text, and I think that the parallels that are here are so clear it's really hard not to see them. And um, once you start to look at it even more in depth, you see more and more of these things. The instrument of death for the sacrifice Isaac is carrying to Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, to be put to death on. The uh, uh, text continues here. Um, Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father, he says, here am I, my son. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, we have this uh, little bit more modern Christian hymn written by Lutheran, in fact, the lamb, and uh, the first verse of that uh Lenten hymn, the Lamb, sometimes used in the distribution of the Lord's Supper, comes right from this text in uh, Genesis 22. So we we have it right here. Um, Isaac is not being coy. We're going to offer a sacrifice, and all of a sudden Isaac realizes that one key component to the sacrifice is missing. Pastor, uh, what are we to make of that? I don't even know if I'd say that all of a sudden he notices, but we're getting to the point where he's starting to ask about the thing that he's noticed. And I think uh, the beauty of it is that, um, you know, we have John's gospel. Uh, we were reading for the gospel lesson. Uh, we also go to all the gospels where Jesus is pointed out to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and that's the reality. And Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, uh, and Isaac's the only begotten son of Abraham, and we're going to see this parallel again where everything is telling us that Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. We, uh, we, we have Abraham's amazing response. And again, there would be some people who would look at this response and say, um, Abraham's covering his tracks, Abraham's lying through his teeth, but in response to the question, where is the lamb, Abraham answers in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went on together. Again, that points us forward to to Jesus, right? I mean, there we are, the broken record Moline here again. <laughs> God will provide. We're going to get. We're going to get to that again at the end of our text. But God will provide the lamb. Um, we have 
the sacrifice here, we, we don't even have the sacrificial system being set up yet. That's still coming in the book of, of Leviticus. We have early in John chapter 1, John the Baptist points to his cousin Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, can we wrap all of that sacrifice, lamb, imagery up here from Genesis 22 and connected to Jesus? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's what the whole text is about, is, uh, and even the name of the mountain, right? Moriah, the, the Lord will provide. And what happens, instead of Isaac getting killed, the Lord does just that, the thing that Abraham's confessing and trusting in. And it's not the lamb that's caught in the uh, thicket by its horns, but instead it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that is going to bleed and die for the forgiveness of all sin, not just Abraham and Isaac, but for all people in all the world. And then the fulfillment is there of the words God spoke to Abraham, in your offspring all the world will be blessed, um, and uh, your offspring will be greater than the sands of the sea shore and the stars in the heaven, uh, not uh, all just DNA descendants, but instead also all the church and all people who trust in God, uh, forgiven through Jesus. That's the fulfillment that's being done here. Now, now you know why Luther loved this text and preached on this text so much. It is so awesome and so clear as it connects us to Jesus, and it just keeps right on going. When they came to the place which God had told him, um, I think this is important to note, and I don't want to park the car too long here. We do not worship where and however we want. God tells us where to worship. God teaches us how to worship. And uh, there are many places in the Old Testament that talk about those people who worship where God didn't tell them to go, how they're worshiping with strange fire, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff, just little tidbits like this. Um, worship is as God has designed it. And worship revolves around, is centered in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He tells us where and when and how. This is not up to, to some Gnostic speculation. Pastor, comment? That's the absolute truth, right? Um, God lays out particular reverence that we ought to have and gives us an idea of what worship should look like, and it all revolves around what he tells us in his word, and uh, so much of his word is here teaching us and telling us again about Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, take away the sins of the world, and the, likewise, then that should be the focus of our worship. Every single little thing that we do ought to tell us about how Christ has died and rose again to take away the sins of the world, and if we get outside of that and we start to look and emphasize other things, then we're drifting away from what true worship actually is and the way that God would have it be done, and that's a dangerous thing for us to do. Yeah, then we fall into the trap like the uh, leaders did in John 8, where they are following a different father than God the Father. They are father following the father of lies. And Isn't that a ironic comparison here. We have the people descended from Abraham who saying, look, we're descended from Abraham. We're worshiping the right way. And then we look back at the Old Testament here where what's Abraham's worship? 
It looks to Jesus, looks forward to Jesus. Abraham sees the day of Jesus and rejoices. Okay, the uh, the money part of this text is still coming. Um, we we already talked about how Isaac could have over easily overpowered his uh, elderly father, but he allows himself. He freely and willingly allows himself to be bound, placed on top of the altar. Abraham takes the knife. He's ready to slaughter his own son as a as an offering to the Lord, and God sends an angel to stop him. And these words that the uh, the angel of the Lord says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Pastor, is this a clear text teaching us that Abraham is saved by works and not by faith? No, I think we've demonstrated, as we've talked about, uh, this text in the last two segments. Make, make that clear, <clears throat> as crystal clear as possible, because there are some people that, in spite of all the scriptural evidence, want to point to the obedience of Abraham as saving him, rather than Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, I think there's the, the kicker, right? I mean, so where's Abraham's obedience coming from? It's coming out of the fact that he has faith, that he believes the promise of God. And even his words that we saw earlier, you know, uh, God will provide the lamb. Um, and uh, even the words of Isaac show that Isaac believes this promise as well. The promise is given by God. It's been carried forward through Adam, through uh, Noah, through Shem, now to Abraham and Isaac. And they are all looking back that God has made this promise and trusting in that, and that then informs the actions that they take in their life. Um, sometimes it does anyways. Sometimes their sinful nature gets the best of them, and we see that uh, in these great men's lives as well. But their faith that they have is the thing that saves them, and that allows them then to do the actions of faith. And you have to get that order right. The cart uh, can't go before the horse. And if you, if you have any questions on that, just go to Hebrews 11 that extols the faith, the great faith of Abraham and other Old Testament uh, saints and prophets. Um, Pastor, immediately then, Abraham lifted up his eyes. There's a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. The ram is offered instead of Jesus or instead of Isaac. Um, the Lord provides. Abraham's words are uh prove true. He is vindicated there. Um, just a little bit, Pastor, on the Lutherans use the phrase, the great exchange, or the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. What are we talking about, and how is that portrayed right here? Well, um, it's you the got, idea you that you got a minute. <laughs> it's the idea that we owe a debt, and Jesus is the one who steps in and takes it for us. And uh, 
If you want to read a really great novel during your time of quarantine about this idea, read A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And when you read that book and get to the end of it, you'll understand the substitutionary atonement where someone takes the place in death that we deserve and uh, we get to uh, rejoice in the peace and comfort and joy that they deserve. And so that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. It is, uh, it is beautiful, crystal clear that... Uh, Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is the ram who dies in our place. We are Isaac who lives. Thanks be to God. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's love in giving his own son. Vicar, would you be uh, willing to bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for the fifth Sunday in Lent? Let us pray. Almighty God, by your great goodness, mercifully look upon your people, that we may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Sunday morning when you get up, uh, might be a little more difficult this Sunday. Read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and if possible, go to church. If not, find a place like KNNA to listen to the Word of God. God, richest blessings on you and yours for Jesus' sake. Fear not, Christ is with you.